You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to Line Noise. This week, our guest is Barclay Crenshaw, better known as Claude Von Stroke, an American music producer, DJ, record label owner, and festival organizer whose kids still aren't impressed by all his achievements, as we will discover. Uh, we talked about his favorite labels, the importance of record labels themselves, Dirty Bird's proudest moment, and the one that got away, working with Green Velvet, and also how to introduce your kids to good music. I hope you enjoy it. So, I wanted to start, um, uh, in Friday, December the 9th, you released Don't Make Sense um, on, on Moon Harbor, which is a label from Leipzig. It's been going since 2000. It's part of a wider um, scheme you have, right, to uh, release music on different labels that you've always liked. Could you explain a bit about that? Well, it's not really a scheme. It's just kind of like... I've been doing Dirty Bird for 18 years and I only released on Dirty Bird almost exclusively. There's like one or two uh, times when I didn't, but, and then I did a bunch of remixes that weren't on it, obviously. But in general, I only released tracks on Dirty Bird for that entire 18 years. And I just thought, uh, I would go back to like the original list of places that I love and like the labels that interested me in dance music and any of them that are still around, I would try to make a track for them. <laughs> I, I know you have a list. There's probably a couple more that are on that list, but it's not, it's not a big list but it's just kind of like a bucket list of places that I just like to, I don't know if it's like show my appreciation or just be a part of their thing or whatever. It's just like a internal thing for me. It's for fun. What do you like specifically about Moon Harbor? Yeah. So when I was listening to stuff, when we were in San Francisco, uh, I didn't like House because it was all like sing-songy, like very kind of like where it's going right now. <laughs> like like uh, big vocal, super clean mixed downs. And the stuff that was coming out of like, at the time, Playhouse, and 2020 and leads and stuff like that was a little bit different and it was more dirty and you could almost hear some of like drum and bass and hip hop like seeping into it but moon harbor had an a different sound to that even where it where people were using like organic drum kits and like organic sounding like it didn't sound totally like it was coming from a computer and they were really good at these really warm mix downs and so they had their own thing that i was just fascinated with when you as part of this 
that you're doing recording for other labels, do you try to tailor the tracks you're making to their sound? Or what you perceive as their sound? No, I just make tracks. And then when they're done, I'm like, hmm, I think like this could work over there. So yeah, maybe I'll try to make it. The thing is, from listening to uh, hundreds of demos a week for 18 years, I know that whenever when anyone says in the email or however I get it, oh, I made this for Dirty Bird, it's almost like 110% not going to be good for Dirty Bird. <laughs> because it's just kind of that. <laughs> there's like what everyone thinks and then there's what is that maybe they were thinking in like 2007 when they liked us or like they're just not following the current thing or some for some reason it's never right mm. but when someone doesn't care and they just send in a demo that's when we find the gold usually so like i feel like making something for ghostly would be maybe detrimental to the project and maybe just making something cool and then just sending it over is a better chance of them liking it. So Ghostly's another one, right? Yeah. There's a it's like ghostly compact crosstown rebels playhouse, which is then my favorite of all time, which is no longer um, was the most experimental and funny and like interesting. Uh trying to think there's there's a few other ones on that list ghostly was the best because they were from where i was from yeah and like all oh, these guys are doing a great job their packaging and everything is insane how, how important is a label to you any anyway were you one of those record collectors that will buy everything on warp or everything on factory or or where you work on my list <laughs> uh no no definitely not i am not a label like i buy i listen to tracks but i do being the owner of a label that is like a brand which i think is almost impossible to start now uh I do will listen to something over something else. If I have two things to listen to and one's from Ninja tune and one's from someplace I never heard, I'm going to listen to the Ninja tune thing first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, is there something that unites the labels you like? Is there some common thread? I think they're all, I don't know if they're all the first of their kind, but they all have a vibe. And it's kind of something that I, they all have a very distinct personality. And I, it's something that I try to tell everybody who sends in music. Like if you're just making generic tech house, just don't even send it in. Like you have to have some kind of personality or like, what are you doing? What are you about? And I think that a lot of these labels have, that and they're willing to take risks and they're just interesting and they're not everything they put out is good and i would say the same for us that you take risks and not everything you put out is good yeah i think i like it all but that doesn't mean it 
it's perceived as good in the general public. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't. How do you say what's good? So I don't know how to answer yeah. that. I mean, how does it feel to be after eighteen years on Dirty Bird to really be releasing on other labels? Does it feel weird? Yeah, because usually I can control how a release goes, uh, and it's kind of just leaving it up to someone else a little bit more, which is good for me because I'm a control freak. <laughs> I think it's helpful to just see how other people release records as well. And I mean, I want to be clear. I'm still making tons of music for Dirty Bird. Just, this is just kind of like a slow burning project that will continue on for a while where I just kind of like once or twice a year, I'm going to start sending something to the places that I really love or whatever. Yeah. Have you ever thought about sending them things anonymously? That would be interesting. No, but I think that it would be funny <laughs> to get the no's. Oh, the yeses? Or the yeses. It would be nice to get the yeses. I don't know what would happen. That's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, as someone, you know, you mentioned you listen to hundreds of demos a week. Um, presumably you know, there have been times where there have been really good things that have slipped through the cracks because it's just not the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is there it's one Is there one record that kills you that you're like, oh my God, I had that demo and and Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh when we were releasing Julio Bashmore, he sent me Battle for Middle You. And I, I didn't check my inbox. And then I listened to it and I was like, oh, can we just get this record? And he's like, I already gave it to this, wherever that came out. Uh, I think it was like his manager's label. And so, of course, they were like, no, we're not giving it back to you. <laughs> if it was anybody else, they might have, you know, but then yeah. because I think it was his manager's label, they were like, no, no, no. <laughs> I missed that. And that was a good track. I missed another one that wasn't a good track, but I won't talk about it. But it was massive. <laughs> so have you have you learned a lot of good practices from like releasing on other people's labels? I mean, have you like sort of sort of things that you could take into Dirty Bird that you know you you were doing differently? I've actually learned that we're doing a good job, which is very makes me happy. <laughs> like uh, I think this the entire dance music world is just there's not enough resources with the amount of income that comes from uh dance music like house releases underground house releases to make any sort of like power team that you could have a major label anyway so in some respects, it's awesome because the only tracks that make it are the ones that actually make it because everyone listened to them. And that's like a real test. But there are less resources than at a bigger shop. And we have less resources and everyone like us has less resources. But that's kind of good. And it's a plus and minus. What makes you feel proudest about Dirty Bird? 
Uh, we never really caved into any of the mega trends. We started a, a bunch of them, but we never like just said, "Oh, this works," so now we're just going to release a hundred of these. Do you know what I mean? Like we just kept pushing it. We're still pushing it a lot. I think even more than usual, and it's like I don't know if people are on board with it even, but I don't care. I don't, I'm not doing Dirty Bird to make money. You know, we're just doing Dirty Bird because it's fun and it's awesome. And what about, um, how do you sort of keep things fresh after so many years? I mean, you you personally, in terms of making music, like you've been around for a long yeah. time. I just, I still really like it, but I also, uh, specifically this year, that's a good timing for this question. I have this other thing under my real name, which is more hip hop, quasi, like not really dubstep, but like halftime, whatever. And I've really been diving into that because I see a similar opportunity to when I started Dirty Bird in North America specifically right now for that because everyone either does this is a very specific answer but every i feel like everyone is really really screechy or way up their own ass like too intellectual and it's almost exactly like when i started dirty bird everybody was way too serious or they were like full trance or something and we just like came in and were fun and we were a little bit more digestible, but we were serious, but we weren't like, we were not saying, oh, you can't have fun here and like stand in the corner and scowl. Like we were like, you better have fun. And I think there's a there's a spot for that in bass music here right now. Maybe this touches on it, but what do you make of the state of electronic music these days? It's everyone complains about whatever the hottest thing is, but it's always the same. It's just a cycle. It's an endless cycle of whatever is the hottest thing on planet earth. Everyone starts to hate it and then it goes away. And then the next thing comes into the cycle. So I don't, I do think it would be hard in general to start an influential brand name. Now it would be harder than before because I think artists can just release music. And I think that trend will continue and the big brands will like, how often do you know the name of the label that a big hit track came out on? It's not as much as it used to be. It's at least cut by 50%. That's going to continue. That's the only trend I see really. Yeah. I think Michael is always the same. Like, one year we're popular, one year we're not popular, then we're popular, then we're not popular, then we're super popular, then we're super hated. Like, it's just endless. <laughs> you have been doing a tour um, under the excellent title, uh, Your Dad Plays Great Music. Yeah. Um, your uh, father to two children, I believe. Yeah. Um. I'm also a father to two children. Great. Um, 
And so I've got, I've got some fatherhood questions. These are these, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. Uh, what do your kids make of your music? Uh, I think they can appreciate it, but they're not into it. So both of my children are song singer songwriters, and they're both good at it. And they know things that I will never know. Like they know all the chord changes and like how to play piano and how to write a chorus and a pre-chorus and a hook and all and all this stuff that I never learned. They have learned from their piano teacher who is incredible. And they're writing music. So they're in a different. I would say my son is closer to my taste than my daughter, but they're both like hyper creative, but they don't care about my music that much. I would say they're not into it. Have, have they seen you DJ at a big party or something? Oh yeah. My, ju I just took my son to our festival this year, kind of illegally. He's, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's all right. I was like, he, someone from our, kids has got to see our festival that we busted our ass on for the last 10 years you know what i mean because we can't do the festival forever it's hard work but uh yeah they've seen it they like it, it it's not their number one choice thing to do but it's they're not against it they're not rebelling against it are they impressed when they see you DJing to lots of people who are really enjoying it? Do they think, oh, that's, that's my dad? Or If they were, they would never tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I can maybe see it in their eyes, but I'll never get the verbal admission. <laughs> I think they're adolescents, right? They're of that uh, teenage. Yeah. 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 One, one more thing I want to ask about your kids. It's like, I, I basically, I played a lot of music that I thought would be good for my kids. I thought when they were young, I'll play them some craft work and that's quite acceptable. And then they'll get into my kind of music. And it hasn't worked in the slightest. Yeah. They detest yeah. my, my musical tastes. My son, particularly. My daughter is okay. But um, do you have any tips on like, introducing children to good music? Did you ever sit them down and go, like, this is a Mr. Fingers record or something like that? You know? Yeah, but uh, I do have a good advice for you on this, is the only real way to do it is to create a dance party atmosphere and not, uh, hey, you need to listen to this and study this vibe. If it's more like, oh, my God, have you ever heard this? And everyone's just, like, jumping around. Do you know about this Van Halen guitar solo? It's insane. Da, da, da. <laughs> Whatever. That works way better in a fun atmosphere than like, hey, we're going to sit down and listen to this radio head. <laughs> like, it's not going to work. Like, so I try, I like constantly try to just crank James Brown and just get everybody jumping up and down. And that has worked because they love Fela Kuti now. And so I've gotten somewhere on it. And I always say to my son, you know, that James Brown is your godfather. He's your, because you're, you're, you're the one with soul. So he's your godfather. And I put a picture of James Brown over his crib when he was born. <laughs> 
Oh no. <laughs> also, on on the tour, you're playing all night, right? Yeah. So the tour has been unbelievable, but I'm very tired. I insanely came up with the idea to do a full anti-production tour. No LEDs, no lighting, just candles and me playing open to close every single show for the entire year. It All of it has been the best sets ever. It's by far, by a million times the best tour I've ever done. But I'm also so tired. Like, I am already, there are, I have three more. And then it's over, and then I am not doing it next year. <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend it, but it's harder. Just imagine you can go in and play 90 minutes, or you could play six hours every night. The, the difference must, is the same. <laughs> yeah. You must have loved the opportunity to play some sort of weird stuff that you don't get to play normally. I mean, I play all these songs that I love from these eras, all these labels that I'm talking about. I go back and I get all of these tracks that influence me that no one knows. Like maybe one person who's like 45 will know or something, but nobody knows any of this shit. And I'll put like a new, if it's not even like playable, I'll put a new kick under it or something to like get it into the modern technology <laughs> or whatever, just so it doesn't just sound like I'm playing like the oldest record on earth, but I get it all in for sure. And I get to play all different kinds of stuff, like really moody, deep, deep stuff in the beginning. And we'll go really hard techno for a while, like whatever. I just play all of it. I play jungle. I don't care. It's If you're there for six to eight hours, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. So I am 45 years old. And yeah. I'm taking this as, 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 a, as a challenge. Like, go on, name something that, that you played with some of your early influences, that kind of thing. Um, I play uh, a lot of like Steve Bug, Martin Lansky, David Kay, uh, Roman Flugel, Robag Room. Um, just like a lot of old like turbo ghostly i don't matthew deer just guys josh wink interesting there's a lot of interesting records uh like low soul and even like their very early ricardo villalobo stuff was really accessible and Captain Comatose. <laughs> I don't know. Do you recognize any of these big things? Oh, yeah. I, I would say about 75% of them. I think lots yeah. of German stuff. Yeah. yeah. The Germans were the only... So this is a very good point. The Germans were the only ones who wanted to be weird back then. And the, the proof in the pudding is I couldn't get a U.S. distributor for Dirty Bird. No one would take me. And then Ziggy from Neutone became my distributor. So we were distributed out of Frankfurt, Germany for the first five years of Dirty Bird. And then everyone was like, oh, 
this is a German import. This is so cool. And I'm like, this is a German import that's been shipped to a Canadian guy who ships it to Frankfurt, then ships it back to you for $12. And it could have cost you $1.75. Can I ask a question about Green Velvet? Yeah. Who is um, one of my favorite artists, I think, of all time. He's the greatest ever. Um, What is he like to work with? Is he, because as someone who only knows him from his music, um, and particularly the the early music, you know, things like The Stalker and things like that, which I absolutely love. But he is he as eccentric as his music suggests? Uh, I will say he is the most positive person that I talk to in my daily life ever. And he's really an inspiration. I mean, he's quirky, but he's amazing. Yeah. I love, like, genuinely, I, I genuinely love Green Velvet. He's the best person that I, he is unbelievable. He's just a great person. He's fun. Oh, <laughs> he's, yeah. Like, he is fun. The definition of fun. He's, when we work together, it's slow. And sometimes, like, our back and forth is very slow. But, it's almost like if he likes something that we're working on, then it speeds up really fast. Yeah. But getting to that point can be slow. But the fastest record we ever made was when I went and lived at his house. Yeah. And that was just like, we finished the EP in like five days because we just sat there and thought of stuff. I've got, if you don't mind, a guest question. Yeah. If, um, I, I, there's some people I know, I mean, I've never met them in real life, but I speak to them on Twitter, a man called Andy Reid. Um, okay. And I got to know him because he does a Daft Punk podcast. Anyway, um, you are, I believe, uh, his favorite producer. Really? Daft Punk, yeah. They're really, really excited. And um, so uh, I asked uh, if if... He had a question. It's a bit long. It's a bit long. You but, uh, tell him, email me to be on his podcast. <laughs> okay. All right. He'd love it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I love what he has built with Dirty Bird, something so recognizable that has such positive fan loyalty. It's almost like people feel like they're a part of it. Uh, Devin, Darren, and I, who is people he works with, have started throwing a monthly party under the name Good Ground. It's been going really well, and we're gaining some momentum. What is some advice uh, you have for three people at the very beginning of this journey? If you could go back to the uh, beginning of Dirty Bird, what are a few things you would tell yourself? I actually think we did a lot of things right in the beginning. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a confusing question. Is he asking me for advice about what to do or is he asking me what I would do back in the beginning of Dirty Bird. <laughs> I, think, I think he's asking both, but I think basically the most important thing is what should they, you know, what advice do you have for three people who are just starting? Okay. This, is the, this is a very simple answer because this really worked for us dramatically, which was if you don't care about the money that much, you're going to be in a great spot in the beginning 
because you should do things like this is the way we did it. We would do our indoor party, which would cost you money so that we could do our outdoor party for free. So we would do our club night so that we would have a free barbecue in Golden Gate Park. And then the kind of like fan loyalty that jet that that generates is incredible. So you want to get you basically want to get your local scene to be obsessed with you before you try to go global because those people will really back you down the line. And the other thing that we did that is a more, much more specific answer mm -hmm. is we really took care of everyone who came to our party by making it so cheap, but you had to get there before 10 p.m. But the price is like $5. Yeah. If you can get there before 10 p.m. And what that did was that created a line across the block at like 8.30 and then your party is full by 10.30 so that everybody that's on your crew gets listened to instead of one person getting listened to from 12 to 4 or whatever. If everyone can get featured and we had a democratic cycle, so even if someone was 10 times more famous, they would open, then they would go to second position, then they would go to third position, then they would close, then they go back to open. So... It didn't like you would see Claude Von Stroke at 10. You would see Claude Von Stroke at 1 a.m. It doesn't matter. You never know. Yeah. And then I just think that really worked amazingly. And that I don't know. So it's like the less you can care about income in the beginning, the better. <laughs> it's, I know that's not, it's the opposite of what everyone needs because they usually need the money in the beginning more than they will down the line but it's the same way i started dirty bird i saved up 25 grand so that i wouldn't be in like desperation by the third vinyl because everybody told me if you can make it through four vinyls your distributor will start paying you <laughs> and that's why every label goes out of business because they can't make it to their fourth vinyl <sighs> And I saved up enough money to make it to the fourth final. And then the third final was a huge final and we survived. Sorry. It's like the less you need the money up front, the better you're going to be. Like, just try to do everything for the community in the beginning.